Hi, this is Jim Brangenberg, the host of the I Work For Him radio show. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast, where we discuss our workplace as our mission field. The live version of our show can be heard each weekday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern on AM 570 and 910 WTBN, locally in the Tampa Bay area, and worldwide on the web at letstalkfaith.com or iHeartRadio. Our website, iWorkForHim.com, has great resources on how you can learn about how your workplace can be your mission field. And also check out the sponsors that bring you the radio show each and every day. And while you're there on I Work For Him, click on the I Work For Him Nation flag and prayerfully consider joining the I Work For Him Nation. Join thousands around the globe praying for their coworkers and employees by name each and every day. That's IWorkForHim.com, IWork, the number four, Him.com. Remember, your workplace is your mission field, and in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Thanks again for listening. I hope this broadcast will make an impact on your life so that you'll never look at your workplace the same again. Let's get to today's show. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in to I Work For Him today. As you listen to us live right here in Tampa Bay and on letstalkfaith.com on the internet along with iHeartRadio. Maybe you're listening to the rebroadcast on Red Nation Rising or maybe the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. However you're hearing the show today, just know that we cover these shows in prayer, and we pray that something that is said today on this show will cause you to dig deeper into what you are learning on Sunday and what you're doing in your 9 to 5. Our prayer is that we will be an encouragement to you to know that your faith, it should impact everything about you, that your workplace, it's your mission field, and that in that mission field, you and me we may be the only Jesus our coworkers and employees may ever meet. You know, reflection, it's a powerful tool. When you look back at parts of your life that are behind you, what do you see? Do you ever take time to do it? So many of us are so busy. Do we ever take time to look back? Do we see some good? Maybe we see some bad. You know, a 2020 perspective on our past is powerful and it's humbling. But the greatest news for today is that our past is redeemable and our future can be wonderful when we submit our lives to Christ. Have you done that? Have you taken the time to put Jesus first in everything that you do? We're talking to a man today who has learned how to do that in his very long life, and he's come to share a little bit of those reflections of the past with us right here on I Work For Him. Welcome to I Work For Him, Bill Pollard. How are you today? Hi, Jim. Glad to be with you. I'm just thrilled, Bill, that you had time for us today. I I loved reading your book. It was like I was walking alongside of you all of those years and and just just experiencing the really cool things that the Lord has done in your life. And I can't wait to share some of those things with people today, but also for you to be an encouragement. We have many listeners, Bill, that are in that I retire for him phase. They're in that phase of life where they're saying, I'm retired, but I'm not done. I want to I want to retire with purpose, and you're speaking to those people today, Bill. And I'm so grateful that you're willing. Good. So you've had, you know, I don't know how many years you got left, Bill, but how would you like to see the Lord use you? What would you like to see the Lord do with those remaining years as you run to the end of the race? Well, I think uh, simply uh, uh, to continue to have opportunities to serve others um, and. Uh, to at the same time uh, recognize there's a benefit of being a little older because you can reflect upon lessons learned and uh, share some of those experiences with others uh, as part of a learning teaching process. Uh, 
but uh, uh, that that's and also uh, I'm very thankful that uh, I'm in good health. So um, um, I praise God for that. And I praise God for it, too. When I got to hear your story at the Faith and Work Summit in Dallas this last fall, and they shared of your years as a huge influencer in the Faith and Work movement when you were CEO two times at ServiceMaster and the influence that you had there. But as I read your book and, and got to hear about the stories of you being best friends, very good friends with Billy Graham and Peter Drucker, and I'm thinking, wow, here's a guy that really walked along some pretty big names and kept humble and kept serving all along the way. Bill, one of the things that is remarkable about your life is your willingness to serve over and over again, and you're willing to pass on what you're learning to the next generations. And that's one of those passions in my life. I'm, I'm just 50, but I see that desperate need for us to feed into the lives of those younger than us. And you said, hey, that's what you'd like the Lord to do with you in the remainder of, of your years. Just keep using that wisdom that you've been given. But what a privilege it is. How did you learn to live with that kind of intentionality that, hey, my retirement, I'm going to live with purpose. I'm going to, I retire for him. Where did you learn that intentionality? Well, first of all, um, uh, I uh, seldom use the word retire. Um, I think there's obviously changes in life. Uh, there's changes in life, as I quote, was in uh, in. in in the marketplace with full, a full-time job. And you wouldn't say I have a full-time job today, but um, uh, there's many opportunities in life, not only to serve, but to help. Uh, but um, obviously uh, working in business was a big part of my life. Uh, at this point, I have the privilege of also working with my son and his real estate development business. So um, uh, I was just on the phone with him this morning and some, uh, challenges and opportunities uh, that we're facing in that business. So I'm very much involved uh, and uh, I want to be continually involved in uh, thinking through the world of the marketplace as well as the world of my faith. And I love the fact that, and I and I kind of baited you a little bit on the whole retire thing, but it's it's because it's a mindset that as Americans we seem to adopt that hey that's just a natural thing we're just going to retire and we're gonna we're gonna live that uh, American dream yet that's not at all scriptural. I mean we're supposed to run to the end of the race, and right. and, and so I really appreciate you hitting on that. And I, I've just gotten a text from one of our listeners going, "This is my kind of show." It's one of my retired listeners that listens often. You know, Bill, you've lived a storied life of accomplishments, you know, from leading Service Master two different times as CEO and being on the executive board of the Billy Graham Association. I grew up in Minnesota, which means you spent many a very cold nights in downtown Minneapolis at the Billy Graham Association and being personal, personal friends with Billy Graham himself. As you reflect on that path, what's the biggest surprise that the Lord put into your life? Well, uh... The, the surprise probably was uh, I would never have anticipated it when I was younger that uh, I would have had an opportunity to uh, to work closely with Billy Graham and his ministry. Um, that was a process uh, that occurred um, when actually I was, uh, as uh, we'll talk a little bit about my career, I practiced law and then came for a uh, about a five-year period and served in the administration at Wheaton College uh, and then went to Service Master. And um, 
uh, Billy Graham was gra- is a graduate of Wheaton College, and for years was on the board uh, of the college. And uh, after one of the presentations I had to make to the board, uh, he called me up a couple of days later and said, "You know, Bill, I'd like to get to know you a little better." And then they told me where he was going to be in the next couple of weeks. Could I meet him? And so I, so I, I certainly made time to meet Billy Graham. And uh, <laughs> and as we sat down and met that day, he he uh, challenged me with uh, the possible opportunity of coming and serving in his organization, um, and um, uh, supporting him in his organization. I I told him I'd pray about it and um, called him up a few days later and just said, you know, I've got, this is where I think God wants me to be right now at Wheaton, and uh, I appreciate that. Well, he just kept up from time to time a regular contact with me. And uh, then after I left Wheaton and ultimately came to Service Master, he called me up one day and he said, uh, listen, will you, <laughs> will you serve on my board now? You wouldn't work for me, but will you serve on my board? And uh, so that there, there, there then followed uh, uh, an even closer relationship with him, including his request uh, uh, about uh, five years on the board to see if I would take on the chairmanship of the board. So it was a it was a special privilege um, to learn from him. Bill, as you look at your book, when I and I read it from cover to cover, when I read that poem right at the beginning of the book, To Own or To Be Owned. It summarizes life pretty well, and it summarizes a unique perspective that you kind of lived out as you went through your life. How did that poem, what was that poem about, and how did it impact you? Well, it. it uh, I'm glad you liked it. It's a special poem. Uh, it was written by Gordon MacDonald, uh, uh, who for many years served as a pastor up in the north, northeast uh, of our country. Uh, and a friend of mine, but he um, he describes uh, two men one night playing uh, midnight games, he calls it. And one man was very successful in his business, um, had achieved a lot, um, and uh, looked at uh, what that meant was because he owned the business and um, and could give it direction. He even referred to the fact that he owned his wife, he owned his children, uh, he owned his life. Um, and uh, however, when it came to reflecting on all of that, uh, he basically had to say, well, what does that mean? I own it. Or how long do I own it? And the other man was a person who was very, very limited resources, had a routine day-to-day job. Uh, and uh, his view of life as he reflected on it that night was not that he owned it, but that he was owned by certain things. He was owned by the opportunity he had in a very average job to work. He uh, reflected on the fact that he was owned by his family, his wife, and his kids, and he had the opportunity to be with them and serve them and lead them. Um, And he was owned by someone in his faith as well, by God. Two different men, but when the end of the day, 
one thought he was owned and really didn't have anything. And the other one was, in fact, owned by others, including his faith in God. Um, it really is, uh, you know, we, we spend a good deal of our time in our life uh, working and building, whether we're building a nest egg or whether we're, uh, whatever we're doing, we're looking for some type of security and safety. Uh, but uh, life is uh, very uncertain. Um, this week on Tuesday, I was at the uh, service, uh, visitation service for a very close colleague of mine and service pastor who three days before didn't wake up in the morning, died of a heart attack. Um, now he knows, he knew where he was going, he's going to heaven, but uh, his life is over uh, in a flash of an eye. So, um, that's, that's the, that's the heart of the poem, uh, Jim, is are you the owner or think you're the owner or are you owned by the people you live with, the people you serve and by the God of your faith and the privilege to be owned. Uh, and yep. it's that remark it's that remarkable it's that perspective you get as you get older you know and, and like i said I, I just turned 50 and sometimes i feel old and other days i feel young it depends on who I'm, who i'm hanging out with but i start to see some of that reality that wow all those things that we were taught as we were growing up that were so important those become extraordinarily less important as we get older and as we get um stronger and deeper and further down the line in our faith those things become less and less important you had some dark days in your life. Your, when you were in college, your dad died. And, and what I loved was two days after the funeral, the college president stopped you and said to you, Bill, don't doubt in the dark what you have seen in the light. What was he saying to you, and how did that impact you? Uh, well, that's, that was a, a phrase he often used when he spoke in chapel. Uh, and uh, because... Uh, reality of life is we're going to run into things that um, are problems. We're going to have sorrow. We're going to have difficulties. We're going to have failures. Um, but at the same time, there is uh, what brings us through those is not to dwell on the negative, but recognize that God's got a purpose in it all. And uh, with respect to my father, um, I was 18 at the time. Um, and uh, the things that developed in the next um, nine months of my life, this, this, this encouragement by the president of the college was very important to me because um, not only did my father die, but uh, his business uh, uh, five months later went bankrupt because he was not there. And it wasn't, he wasn't leading it anymore. And it just kind of, the source of income for my mother was gone. And uh, questions about whether I should continue in college. Um, I was in my freshman year at the time he died at Wheaton. And uh, I was thinking about going to, uh, to Northwestern and get an engineering degree and actually uh, enrolled in the next fall there and got a scholarship. But, uh, but 
but within three or four weeks, I just dropped out of school. And then the whole question of whether I was going to finish college. All those different things were bubbling around in my life. And uh, finally, I had a focus uh, coming through Christmas uh, to go back to Wheaton and finish my degree there. But um, uh, that was a troublesome year for me. Mm. Um, uh, but God was behind it. And uh, in the end, I can look back and have a perspective. You know, sometimes when you go through these deep waters, you, you don't you don't see the light uh, quickly. Uh, and uh, but uh, God is still there. Well, and you didn't you just finish your degree at Wheaton. You went on and got a you got a law degree. You practiced law. I mean, the Lord took you and developed your skills. And even though that was a very dark time in your life. The Lord kind of grabbed you in his arms and carried you through to some pretty interesting places, which we'll get to in a minute. But you know, I, I want to talk about a couple of the people that everybody will know the names and they'll be amazed. Okay, we're talking to somebody who was very good friends with Peter Drucker. I mean, the father of modern management. I mean, the, the things that I've read by guys who have been impacted by Peter Drucker are numerous and dozens of things. But he was a close friend of yours throughout some really turbulent times of your life and throughout many different pieces of your career. What was the greatest thing you learned from Peter Drucker? Well, Jim, <laughs> there were so many things I learned from him. I started to, say, I started to rate him. Yeah, we probably could so do a whole just, show on what you learned yeah, from yeah, Peter right. Drucker. Let me just share a few of them with you. Uh, first of all, this whole discussion with me uh, about the responsibility of leadership and he had a, a phrase, as he did in many other areas of leading and working, which was, it just got right to the point. And it was, a leader has only one choice to make, to lead or mislead. And then he would always look at me and said, don't ever forget that, Bill. You know, <laughs> if you go into a store today and, you could find a bookstore. You could find all kinds of books on leadership. There's Everybody's written about how what makes a good leader, how do you do a leader, and so forth. But when you read those, they're focusing on the person, the leader. But the leadership is really tested by the people being led, not the leader. It's so true, and, there, and that's what that's what that's what that that's what that phrase means. It gets to the point that when you're when you have a responsibility of leading, it's going to affect people either positively or negatively. There is no neutral ground. You can't be a neutral leader. <laughs> I love that. That's very good. That's yeah, very good. He he uh, he also. Uh, Remember uh, one time when I was reviewing um, a long-range plan for Service Master with him and went through it and so forth. He said, "Get finished after I made my presentation with him." And he said, "Well, Bill, what's your priority?" And then I would say, "Well, now we're we're going to do this this way, and and then we're going to do this over here." He said, "Bill, what's your priority?" And then I then I tried to answer him about the the multiple facets of, uh, of of the plan, and he finally slammed his hand on the table. He said, Bill, 
I asked you a question. What is your priority? And then he gave me a lecture on the word priority. He said, you know, the word priority came into the English language, language in the 14th century. It wasn't until the 20th century that we pluralized it. What is your priority? The first thing, the most important thing that has to be done in your plan. And without it, the plan won't work. What is it? Um, you know, I, I often think of that of that experience as it relates to faith. What, what is our priority? Our, our priority is our relationship with our Lord and Savior. Is that the answer he gave you? Because you're killing me on this one. When he, when he asked you, what is your priority, was that what he was leading to? What I just said about yeah. my faith? Yeah. Uh, no, not at that point. <laughs> he was thinking about business, but we had some very extensive discussions on uh, on faith and the Christian faith. And uh, there's no there's no doubt in my mind that uh, I'm going to see Peter in heaven. Um, so uh, we we had uh, we had discussions, uh, many discussions about faith and the role of faith in our workplace. Well, and your conversation with Peter Drucker, and, and to know that. You know, not many people had that privilege, yet he was the father of modern-day management to understand that he really did. He, I, I love that comment. To, you, you have one choice, to lead or mislead. And there's so many leaders today that need to understand that it's not about the status. It's about the people they impact. It's never about them. If you're going to be a great leader, it's never about you. Bill, I know that. a great that, time. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm so, I'm so glad that you're on the air with us. You know, what I loved about reading your book is that it was just, it was your heart lived out on the pages. You know, you're really an open book and you were vulnerable in those pages and just, you, you had a desire to please the Lord in every area of your life and you, and you showed it. You talked about the good and the bad and the struggles along the way. When you first got into the practice of the law, of law what did you ever struggle, or how did you struggle in connecting your faith and your work when you got into that practice of law? Well, the biggest struggle I had in the practice um, is uh, the demands, the time demands um, in the practice of law, uh, at least for me, um, um, and the required almost um, uh, uniform uh, focus uh, required it sometimes working seven days a week um, and um, uh, that was that was a challenge I mean I was I was enjoying it but I was missing a lot and um, uh, at that point of my life uh, I didn't even understand that there was a role of integrating my faith with my work. Mm. You know, it was church on Sunday, work on Monday. And uh, sometimes it wasn't church on Sunday because I was uh, had a case or I had a, the, I did a lot of corporate work, not, not, not a lot of litigation, but, uh, or I had a, um, a transaction that had to be closed. And I was in the middle of, uh, of that. It was just, it was a very demanding, um, for me, um, it was. I, I started out in a large law firm in Chicago that rep- represented a lot of corporate clients, and uh, and there followed the opportunity to start my own firm about five years later. But uh, that was that had its own struggles, uh, and uh, until we had enough uh, clients. So- to, 
I imagine your wife started getting on you a little bit, though. I mean, that, that you had a wife and kids while you were in the law practice, correct? Correct, yeah. My wife was uh, was very patient, but uh, she was much of a reminder. Uh, she was, um, the whole process of leaving the practice of law and going to Wheaton College was a, was a, clearly a process that involved her. Uh, it involved the president of Wheaton College. It involved God, and finally it involved me to make a decision that I was going to change what I was doing in my life. Uh, uh, so, uh, Well, that was a pretty big switch. I mean, moving from law to going to academia, Christian academia no less, you say that you saw the Lord's hand and all that, your wife was involved, the president of Wheaton College was involved. Why did you, Why now that you're able to look back at it, why did the Lord move you to Wheaton College? Well, it, it started with my wife finding, finding me out cold on the bathroom floor one morning. And uh, as they rushed me to the hospital, they found I had a bleeding ulcer. I was 33 years old. Uh, and uh, um, uh, I had to go through a serious operation. And um, as I was recovering from that, um, I had a regular visitor, and it was a president of Wheaton College. Wheaton College was one of my clients. And uh, as I was ready to be dis- discharged the day before I was to be discharged, the president of the college said, Bill, I've been praying for you, and I think the Lord wants you to make a change hmm. and come and help me at the college. Was that the same and, president that spoke those words to you? Was it still the same guy then? Uh, he's he's not the president now, no. He's passed no, but away the, now. But the guy that yeah. said, hey, Bill, I think it's time, was that the guy that spoke those words to you that says, hey, don't doubt in the dark what you've seen in the light? Is that No, 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 no. Different, no, different president? Okay. Different, right. Yeah, yeah. And and so he said, uh, and so I, I said, you know, I looked him right in the eye, and I said, uh, you know, that's the furthest thing from my mind. Uh, I've got clients calling me here in the hospital, and I've got... I've got uh, my partners want me to come back in the practice. Well, anyway, there proceeded a period of about um, oh two or three months where he would call me periodically, and uh, my wife would continue to encourage me to to take the job. Of course, it was going to be a reduction of income, and uh, finally, my partner said, "If this is what you want to do, Bill, uh, go ahead and do it. We'll we'll leave your partnership open. You can come back at any time." Uh, but there was one thing that was really bothering me. I knew that if I was going to be successful in the job because I was going to have responsibility at the college for everything but the students and the faculty, meaning all the administrative work, the right. investment in endowment funds, and, and uh, all the maintenance of facilities, all the maintenance folks and all, everything, uh, the staffing side of the institution. And... Uh, I said, you know, I, I'm going to have to, because it's going to be the financial side of the college, I'm going to be reporting to the finance committee of the board. And the chairman of the finance committee is someone I've met. I don't know him well, uh, but I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get along with him. And uh, the president said, oh, don't worry. he He's kind of abrupt, but uh, he'll be able to get along with him. He loves the Lord. And... Uh, so this was at a lunch, but he said, "Bill, you got to make up your mind." And the president did. So when I, I back when I went back to my law firm, uh, no sooner was there than I got a call from this individual. 
first name was Ken. And he identified who he was, and he said, when are you going home tonight? And I said, well, I'm going to go home about 6.30. Can you stop at the college? I said, sure, I can stop there. Well, I'll be there with the president. I'll meet you in the president's office. Bang. Didn't say goodbye, just slammed the phone down. And uh, so I arrived, uh, and uh, there was Ken, and there was the president. And so we shook hands and talked, and uh, uh, then we sat down, and then uh, Ken had a piece of paper on his lap, and he put it in front of me. He said, here, this is my resignation as a trustee of Wheaton College. Now what's in your way from coming here? Uh, so he was a pretty direct person. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> And well, and he, that... he knew he knew exactly how I was good. I mean, he anticipated. He's, he was a great negotiator too. And I will tell you that Ken um, was the chairman of Service Master. Hmm. I didn't know how the Lord was going to use all that relationship in years ahead. But um, so you know, I my my immediate reaction was, "Oh, Ken, you don't have to do that." Oh, no, 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 you don't have to do that. And then, and then we talked it out, and uh, and then we had a time of prayer. And after the after we finished praying, he, uh, the president Ken looked at me and said, "Well, you're going to take the job." And uh, I said, "Yes, I'm going to take the job." And and then Ken said, "Well, now listen," he said, "You got to remember that if I ever get in your way, you got to kick me in the shins." <laughs> Wow, and uh, so that that started a relationship with the chairman of Service Master, which was ultimately he was the person who recruited me to come to Service Master when I had decided to leave Wheaton College and go back and practice law. So that's how you know. Looking back, you can see how God worked, used used all of that experience as part of um, uh, a plan He had in my life. And he really used Ken in your life for so many years. I mean, how many years were you guys friends, confidants, and accountability persons? I mean, how many years were you guys uh, connected? Uh, well, we we were connected those five years of Wheaton very very closely because he was chairman of the finance committee. But, but also then when I came to Service Master, uh, uh, he was still serving as chairman. And uh, and uh, Ken and uh, the CEO's name was his first name was Ken too. Uh, the two Kens, um, I worked with them, and they were in my life for the next 15 years. Well, that's just amazing that the Lord did that. Hey, we're talking today with Bill Pollard, who wrote the book. He's the CEO, former CEO. Uh, I was going to say retired, but he doesn't want me to use that word. He was the CEO of Service Master for over 25 years. He wrote this book, The Tides of Life, which is just a reflection on how the Lord moved in his career and how the Lord shaped his faith to the assignments that he was given. And, and Bill, as you just said, the Lord moved you from Wheaton to Service Master because of this guy, Ken, who who clearly set, saw the Lord's hand in your life and said, I need to make sure this guy comes in here. I want to work with him at Wheaton College because Ken had a vision for, he wanted you eventually at Service Master. We'll get a chance to talk about that maybe on another show, but as the Lord moved you into this biggest assignment of your life at Service Master, when you were first interviewing for this job, I love when you wrote about this. They stopped the interview short, and they ended the, at the end of the interview. Why? 
Yeah, it was in Ken's office. In fact, uh, I was I was there to, to you know sign the employment papers and get talk to him about uh, the starting dates and and it was in Ken's office and uh, his partner uh, uh, was there too and uh, uh, and I had decided that morning as I was coming uh, to sign up as an employee and uh, they were my initial title was going to be uh, senior vice president uh, but they kept on inferring during the recruiting process that there would maybe be an opportunity for me someday to be the CEO of the company. And I woke up that morning. And I said, you know, I better, better press these guys about what they really mean. They must be, there must be other people in the company that they would consider for that too. And, and uh, when, what, what is the time frame? What was the expectation? So basically uh, when I got to Ken's office that morning, I started, I really started pressing him and his uh, colleague about, uh, you know, what were they inferring? And is it, you know, is this a two-year process, three-year process, five-year process? What about other people? There must have other people here. And, and uh, yeah, would I like to be a CEO someday? Yeah, I would like to be CEO someday. I I got about, you know, 10 minutes into that pressing, and Ken stood up and said, this interview is over. And his colleague ushered me to the front door. And I left service master that day saying, well, God, I guess you don't want me to go there. This is your signal that I should go back to the practice of law. The next morning I got a call from, from Ken and he said, you want to know what happened in my office yesterday? I said, I sure do. Will you meet me for breakfast tomorrow morning? And uh, I said, sure. And we, we had breakfast the next morning and he said, you know, Bill, if you want to come to Service Master and serve, you'll have a great career. But if you're coming for a title or position, forget it. And then he got into his whole view of this popular concept today of servant leadership uh, and what it meant uh, in the company. Uh, what our objectives men in the company have to honor God and all we do to help people develop, to pursue excellence, and to grow profitably. And he said, Bill, uh, don't come unless you're willing to serve. And don't come just because you think there's going to be a bigger title or a bigger paycheck. Come to do the job you have in serving others. Uh, and so that's that was my... That was my beginning uh, of the end of Service Master, but Ken, in his own wisdom, tested me because for the first eight weeks of my serving as executive vice president or senior vice president, uh, I spent my days out mopping floors in hospitals and cleaning in homes. And by 4.35 o'clock at night, I got back to the office to do my work uh, as an officer of the company for till about 10, 11 o'clock. Bill, you were moved from Wheaton College to Service Master after that very unique interview experience. And you just mentioned right before the break that the first eight weeks, you didn't act as a senior vice president during the daytime hours. They had you out learning everything about what Service Master was all about. You were sweeping floors, mopping floors, doing the, the work that Service Master did. How did that shape your tenure? At Service Master. 
starting at the bottom? Well, it 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 was a reminder, and uh, I wouldn't use the word bottom. Well, but I, just, was, I understand you're was, at the top at the bottom, was, and you had to experience it. Is where is where is where our service met the customer, okay. and and it it was um, a, a continuing reminder as as my responsibilities grew in the company, and as I got as part of that, what happens is a natural separation from the delivery of your product or your service to the customer. It there was a, it resulted in a constant reminder to me of uh, the people uh, doing the service and uh, how we were supporting them or not supporting them, what their needs were, what their downtimes were, what made them discouraged, what what encouraged them, um, and the importance of putting your 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 mind as to what how to, how to make this work, uh, which would be considered by most mopping floors or other things like that, is mundane. Um, but in fact, you're part of a process if you're doing that in a hospital of helping people get well. Um, and, and, do you, uh, and it was one of your core values at Service Master to honor God in all you do. That was that was yeah. the number one core value. And there are still Service Master franchises out there that have that right there as the number one. How different, um, how cool was that to have that as your number one core value to honor God in all you do? How much did that impact your day-to-day across the country? Well, it, the first thing it did, it raised the question of God um, uh, in the doing of business uh, and serving customers and developing people. Uh, and so it, uh, it's by its very nature, raised the question of God. Uh, and uh, and that that then resulted in opportunities for engagement uh, about God and uh, and about His Son Jesus Christ. So mm. all those things were, were were all part of that. And you uh, you weren't honoring God if you weren't doing a good job, or if you were loafing on the job, or something like that. So you you know it was a self. Um, management uh, factor in in getting a job done. So it was it was um, obviously we had people who who wondered about it. We had some of our employees uh, uh, object to it. We were a public company. Uh, one of my responsibilities was to engage with Wall Street, um, and uh, as I talked about the. The principles and the objectives of the company. I always had people asking questions about that first objective, whether we were trying to promote a faith, a religion. What religion are you promoting? What religion? And I said, you know, we just come back and just say to honor God. Uh, and uh, uh, and I I I got so that uh, in the process of engaging with the press on that question. And they kept on driving, and drive. What you know? Are you, are you Catholic? Are you Protestant? Are you Episcopal? Are you Presbyterian? Are you a Mormon? Or you know? And I kept on saying, "Listen, if you want to try to identify me in my faith, if that's important for you to do, just tell folks I'm a follower of Jesus Christ." Mm. 
Wow. What a great summary that is. Bill, we're out of time, and I'm sorry. We could have easily talked for a couple of hours a day. Thank you for sharing your life with us so that those of us that come behind you can learn from your experiences and just learn from your encouragement that you put on the pages of this great book, The Tides of Life. Bill Pollard, thanks so much for being an I Work for him today. Okay, it was a privilege to do so, Jim. Thank you. All right, God bless you, Bill. All right, thanks for tuning in to I Work For Him today. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope that you were encouraged by those words of Bill Pollard. We still have one copy of his book to give away. You could call right now, 877-943-9673. I just hope that something Bill said today caused you to dig deeper. You know, one of the things that Service Master did was it invested and developed their people. It was their core value for them. Do you do that? You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace, it's my mission field, but ultimately, I work for him.